If you'll open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. And then we'll continue in our study of the life of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. I'm glad to hear the rustling of the pages. That's encouraging, so it doesn't bother me to wait just a moment. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You'll note here that in Daniel's uh, writing that we're we're getting a a second date. Chapter 1, verse 1 gave us the first date of in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now we're getting a second date. It's now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician conjurer or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth 
that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. As we've completed chapter 1, at the very last section of chapter 1, as one writer noted, we were kind of drawn to a place of calm. We noted last week that God had given favor and even compassion was given through the commander and the officials toward Daniel and his friends. They had found favor before these commanders because of what God had done. And it gave us a little bit of calm in the midst of the tumult of being dragged out of your homeland and culture and thrust into this new place. And now we're told they found favor because God granted it. In the opening of chapter 2, we see trouble once again. In an overarching theme this morning, we have a troubled king with a troubling dream who troubles his magicians with a troubling demand. I'll say it again. We have a troubling or a troubled king with a troubling dream who troubles his magicians with a troubling demand. That's the overarching thing. This king has a dream. He knows it has some kind of meaning, at least in his mind it does. He doesn't know the interpretation. He calls his conjurers, magicians, and the Chaldeans in. And he says, not only do I want you to interpret the dream, but I'm not even going to tell you the dream. I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it. And these Chaldeans speak up and plead to hear the dream. Now Nebuchadnezzar says, I know what you want. You want time. You hear what I'm saying to you and you want time and you want to discuss these things amongst yourselves and you can hopefully come up with some kind of idea of what to tell me about the interpretation and it keeps you alive for a little while longer. No such hope. And they say, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. This is difficult. No king has ever asked this of his magicians before. Well, that just makes him all the more angry. And the scripture says he's furious. He says, fine, be done with you all. He's about to send Arioch out to kill them all. Conjurers, magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans alike. So all in all, the opening to chapter 2 is very troubling, isn't it? Because by verse 13, what we hear is, is that this young, believing man and his friends who have been very desirous to follow their God They found favor in chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, their lives are in great peril. It should be reminiscent some way in our minds biblically about Joseph and Pharaoh. The context of a king's troublesome dream 
the ineptitude, as one writer says, of the magicians to know the interpretation of the dream. Then there's the introduction of this unheralded foreigner who comes and interprets the dream and ultimately is elevated to prominence. It's interesting how the Lord works in these ways and he continues to show his power in each and every different generation. Well, number one this morning, we need to note God is the true world changer. God is the true world changer. I use that term world changer because I came out of a Southern Baptist context and there was this thing called world changers where you would go and help a community and you would build homes and things of that nature. And it was helpful. It's really good. Don't have any problems with it. But ultimately we have to note that even when we help people physically, what everyone truly needs is a heart change and only God is a true world changer. And here's the problem with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is an unconverted man. He has no heart change. And yet, it's the true world changer that enters at this moment in a very obvious way. Not that he wasn't there before. God is everywhere at once. But he enters in this very obvious way in this dream that he gives to Nebuchadnezzar. Here is a king who in one sense has it all before them. He's the conqueror as Babylon's king and he will continue to conquer and reign. And all of a sudden, he's got this terrible dream. And it's completely shaken all of his mental health. One writer noted the mental health of every world leader is balanced by God. made me think of someone like Kim Jong-un who seems to be somewhat um, unstable I'll put it that way God is upholding who he is and what he will do and there's not one thing he will do outside of God's sovereignty even his mental health is balanced by God We need to think very carefully about the context of what is happening here. This dream is coming about not in the mere senselessness or absurdism or the context of no path or no plan or no purpose. This dream is in the context of the whole of the purpose and the plan of God. It shows us the very minuteness, detailed sovereignty of the one true living God. That he can orchestrate dreams for his own purpose. Well, number two, it brings us to this idea. The interpretation of dreams is risky business. The interpretation of dreams is risky business. Now we can certainly note here in this chapter it's risky business because 
There's a dream. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wants it interpreted, but not only does he want the dream interpreted, but he wants his magicians to not only interpret the dream, but tell him what the dream is before they interpret it. He's basically asking them, I want you to be a mind reader. Now, we all know how difficult that is, right? We have various relationships in life where we struggle to understand and read the minds of those who are in our realm or our sphere of life. You may work for someone that you sometimes think, what do they want me to do, read their mind? I don't know what you're thinking. We also note here that this is not the first time that God has brought dreams into his use in dealing with his providence. Remember, it was Abimelech that took Abraham's wife, and after he had taken her because Abraham had lied and she had lied too, it's God that used a dream to say, you need to return this woman to her husband or I will kill you. And Abimelech says, why, surely not. I didn't do anything wrong. I took this woman under good pretense in my own mind. And he says, yes, because you've not sinned against me yet, I have warned you. So therefore heed the warning and return the woman or you will be killed. We have this risky business of interpreting these dreams. Sometimes the risk is for the one who receives the dream. Sometimes the risk is for those who hear the dream from the one who received it. That's the trouble of the dream, not only here in this text, but also with Pharaoh as well in Genesis 41.1. We have to note carefully that dreams are used in the Old Testament context and even some in the New Testament context in very particular manner. There's a lot of times where people want to develop a theology of dreams as though every dream can be interpreted and every dream has some particular meaning. And we need to be cautioned against that. The evidence we see of the dreams used in Scripture were used in a specific way in providence and there was always a particular interpretation somehow worked out by God's prophet or through the Word of God in and of itself. There are many dreams that can be interpreted just by mere idea and thought of some type of moral context. You can have a dream where there's a bad person and a good person, and it tells you in your mind, well, don't be like the bad person. Fine, fair enough. But that's not some great uh, miraculous thing that's happened in your brain. It's as Calvin says, we must hold generally that the art of conjecturing from dreams is rash and foolish. It's a caution to us. Don't try to take the dream texts in the scripture and begin to try to conjure up all types of theology and doctrine and try to conjure up many ways that you can interpret your own dreams and have a theology of dreams and their interpretations. It's, it's unwise and it's foolish to do so. 
where there may be something learned from a dream, take it in its practical context and move forward. If you have a troubling dream time and time and time again, put it in the hands of the Lord that you would trust in him and his providence. Sometimes we do have recurring troubling dreams. If they begin to trouble our conscience or our spirit over time, time and time again, then would you not put it in the hands of the Lord? Because this is ultimately what happens practically with Nebuchadnezzar. His dream ends up in the hands of the Lord through Daniel interpreting it. And even Nebuchadnezzar has to trust that what Daniel says is what's going to happen. And ultimately that means he's putting his trust in whom? The one covenant Lord and God. So even if you were to have some recurring troubling dream, don't try to develop a theology of dream interpretation especially to do it falsely from the scripture. Or certainly not leave it up to your own devices. Take that dream and bring it before the Lord and ask that it would not trouble your conscience any longer. Dreams, we need to be careful of them as well because... If you've ever had a dog and you've watched them sleep, they seem to have dreams of their own, don't they? Many times the kids have laughed at our dog and she is completely out. And her little lips are fluttering and her little feet are moving and shes it's like she's chasing a squirrel in her dreams or something. Let's not take our dreams so far out of context for even the animals look as though they have them too. Why would we be careful? Because two things. Number one, dreams are random. As one writer says, they're confused, chaotic, and decontextualized. Another writer says they're lighter than a cobweb and just as flimsy. What can you really know from your dreams? Another writer says, They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Most of the time we've had multiple dreams during the evening and we get up and we go on about our day and they fly forgotten. It's only on certain occasions that they may not. But even when they don't fly forgotten, They're lighter than a cobweb and just as flimsy. What can you know from them? But also, we need to be careful because dreams are troublesome. They're troubling to us in a way that it may cause anxiety and anxiousness. If they're lighter than a cobweb and just as flimsy, then why would we want to develop some idea from a dream that causes us further anxiousness rather than turning these matters over to the Lord and trusting in his providence? They're troublesome and upon awakening, awakening to unravel the dream from reality. 
some of you may have heard me tell about my recurring dream. I haven't had it much lately. But for years, I had this recurring dream quite often. Uh, it starts at the very end of my grandmother's neighborhood, and I'm just running as fast as I can up this street toward her street. And I continue to run really, really hard, but it's like I'm not getting there fast enough. And I look over my shoulder, and there are uh, groups of terrorists chasing me in an El Camino. And they have a large uh, 50 caliber gun that is attached in the back of this El Camino. And they continue to chase me and shoot at me. And I get all the way up finally into my grandmother's circle. I run to the driveway. I get up to the house. I beat on the door and nobody comes. And they're still coming up the road shooting at me. I run to every door and nobody's there. And they continue to shoot at me and shoot at me. And this El Camino is somehow able to drive around in my grandmother's yard. And finally, all of a sudden, I wake up. Now, thankfully, I hadn't had that dream in years. It's probably been three or four now that I haven't had it. Why this recurring dream? Why an El Camino? Why terrorists? You see the strangeness of it? What if I began to try to thoroughly research this dream and to come up with a theology of interpreting that dream? Think of the anxiety I would cause myself. We have to think a little more thoughtfully about our dreams and consider are dreams an attribute of the mind as created or the angst of the mind as fallen? Whatever the answers are to those two questions, one of the answers must be that there is an effect on our mind from our very fallen natures. And so that our dreams are even affected by our fallen natures. And that's why we must be very careful to try to interpret our dreams in any particular way because we cannot be sure in our fallen natures, even as believers in a uh, a state of, of being resurrected and made new in Christ, there's still remaining flesh. I think we need to take great caution with the idea of dreams. In another place, Calvin says, the mind is not completely buried in slumber but retains some seed of intelligence, although it be suffocated. These dreams are real in our minds. We still have some awakeness in them. But he goes on later to say the dreams cannot be trusted. If the Lord in his providence can bring a dream to our mind, can the Lord not in his providence when we go before him in prayer and thoughtfulness, take the dream and put it in its proper place that we would trust in him and follow him. Once again, ultimately, this is what Nebuchadnezzar is brought to. 
he's brought to a place that even with the interpretation of this dream, he must stand before the one true living God. And it's the same for all of us. The problem for Nebuchadnezzar, though, is that in the midst of his dreams and his desire to interpret them, there's the whole context of false religion. Nebuchadnezzar is wrapped up in the religion of uh, religions of Babylon, the religions of the world encroaching upon him. And so these dream or this dream has taken even greater context in his life because false religion is what is being worked out in the whole of his life. Thirdly, there are two kinds of false religion. There are two kinds of false religion. Number one, the false religion that has vision but no interpretation. The false religion that has vision but no interpretation. Any religion may have lots of speculations, but no understanding or proper interpretation of past, present, or future events. This is what marks Christianity out as something so miraculous and wonderful and great in the mercy and grace of God that we are shown in the scripture, not exhaustively, but we are shown rightly and put in the context of the whole of God's plan and purpose that God has a plan, past, present, and future. And that plan is being worked out exactly in what he would desire. And not one thing will be outside of him. The true believer walking in light of God's word is left to very little speculation as to the overarching great purpose of God to glorify himself past, present, and future. We are left to no speculation about who we are as sinners and our need for a Savior and Lord in Christ Jesus. And that's past, present, and future as well. We may be left to some speculation on God's decree in some places in our understanding of it. But we are not left to a speculation as to whether or not God has a decree. We are not left to a speculation as to whether or not God has a decree in salvation. Christianity not only has true vision in the purpose, plan, and power of God, but it has proper interpretation. False religions often may have vision, but no interpretation. They cannot tell you the plight of man. They cannot and will not bow to the knee of the plight of man. They will not deal with their own need for a Savior and Lord. They certainly will not bow to the overarching sovereignty of God in all things. These types of religions, they either founder in the absurdism or float in surrealism. You realize we're in a postmodern society. We've moved more to absurdism now. 
I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day, and I don't remember the whole podcast at this point, but I rarely listen to these, but this one phrase caught me about the absurdity that we now have in culture large groups of people that will stand and tell you that a man can get pregnant. That's not postmodern thinking. That's absurdity. You have to understand this absurdity is shown to us in these verses as Nebuchadnezzar has to call before him magicians, conjurers, sorcerers and Chaldeans. The Chaldeans represent the the priesthood of the religions of the day. Sorcerers. It's a very specific word in the scripture. The identification of those who call upon some innate uh, matter of spirit in the world to bring power to them that they can then use that power. Conjurers. The ones who want to conjure up the very spirits of the past. And magicians. Basically, magicians are just tricksters. Even Nebuchadnezzar has come to a place of absurdity. Anybody and everybody he could call, he gets them all together. In the absurdity, he can't figure it out, and he calls anybody and everybody he can call, and then on top of that, he makes an absurd demand. When a religion has no interpretation of the whole and I don't mean in every single detail but I mean the whole of the great picture of the cosmos and its context then they will founder in absurdism the word founder just sink to the bottom rust and rot Or they'll float in surrealism. Surrealism has even come about in the religion among literary writers of the 20th and 21st century. They take the surreal and they, they write in the context of the surreal in the sense of trying to put uh, that which is surreal into the writing that they make and then yet interpret that in their own lives and it becomes basically a circus of life. Surrealism has no reality or base value. And there's evidence of that kind of thinking here. It must have been surreal for all these magicians and conjurers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans are the one said to be speaking up at this point. It must have been surreal for them to sit there and think, You mean to tell me this guy wants us to read his mind? And if we don't read his mind, then he's just going to tear us limb from limb? 
What? Huh? At this point, Nebuchadnezzar is floating in surrealism. He thinks just because he commands something that it can then be done. There's only one being he can do that. And Nebuchadnezzar is not God. He's not the covenant God. The other type of religion, false religion, is that which has interpretation but no vision. One has vision but no interpretation. The other has interpretation but no vision. The one with interpretation and no vision, they have various detailed interpretations of the present and past with little to no thoughtfulness of what it means for the future or the end of sinful humanity. We see this in our modern age of scientific improvement and technology. So many improvements have come through science, not just medicine, but generally speaking, science has brought us some great improvements. I mean, in one sense, you could say the car is an improvement. It's an improvement. But can we trust science fully and wholly to give us a proper vision of sinful humanity and what will take place in the end of the cosmos? No. Because science is struggling to understand the beginning of the cosmos. And if you get the beginning wrong, then you'll get the end wrong. Much of their future thought is based on how humanity can shape the future by sheer willpower with little to no thought concerning the plan and the power of the sovereign Lord. There was a day when science had Christians in it who had great influence. Now if you're a scientist who's a professing Christian, you're fighting a complete uphill battle all the time. The great thing about Christianity is it has vision and interpretation. The Bible gives us some order and great plan of our God in understanding who He is and what He's done. One God shown to us, revealed to us in His Word. Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Scripture shows who we are as humans, who we were in creation, and who we are after the fall. And it gives us a vision for the purpose of the very return of Christ. What he did on this earth and what he's coming to do. 
this could be worked out in multiple levels. I, thinking about this in my study, I just kept thinking about one thing after the other. And you would spend just hours thinking and discussing all of the ideas of the vision and the interpretation that Christianity gives in the whole of the cosmos versus false religions. But I began to think about it after I'd read some other things and kind of boiled it down to a few last thoughts. Postmodernism says my truth. Absurdism says no truth. Surrealism says invent your own truth. But thankfully, Francis Schaeffer reminded us there's true truth. And it's the scripture that gives us true truth. Well, fourthly, They who claim direct communication with God ought to be held to strict account. They who claim direct communication with God ought to be held to strict account. First and foremost, basically these conjurers, they're going to be speaking on behalf of the gods, little g. And so therefore all that Nebuchadnezzar is doing is holding them accountable. Fine then, if you are who you say you are, then tell me the dream and the interpretation. This has really been no different for biblical prophets that we see in the scripture. One of the ways that a biblical prophet was known to be that person who was trustworthy and sent of God was that those things that they told of the future did happen. And so here, these conjurers and sorcerers of the day are being held to biblical account even though they don't understand it and see it. They're being held to account by Nebuchadnezzar who doesn't even believe in the Bible in that sense. Doesn't believe in the the words of the prophets of the day in that sense who were sent of the Lord. But the accountability is still the same. They who claim direct communication with God ought to be held to strict account. This is why Nebuchadnezzar says, the command from me is firm. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. There seems to be some debate as to whether or not Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the dream and that's why uh, he was asking for them to tell him the dream and the interpretation. Um, The more I think about that, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. Um, If he had forgotten the dream, how is he going to hold them to account to know the dream for sure? I mean, are they saying that somehow uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have his mind sparked when they tell him the dream? No. I think he knows the dream. He knows the dream well enough to be able to say to them, tell it to me, that's how he's going to hold them to account. I think we need to understand very carefully that this idea should be shuddered about in Christianity very thoughtfully. 
Because there are lots of people going around today talking about having direct communication with God. We should very, very, very clearly stay away from that. The direct communication we have today is God's word. He works through his spirit according to his word in the souls of his people. And we are no longer in need of that type of interpretation. And what's interesting to me is we have a church today that will not hold these people accountable who claim to have direct communication with God, especially once their spoken communications are shown to be untrue. Thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of people follow this type of false teaching across the world. Those who claim such direct communication, they need to be really careful. Because God's judgment will be clear. And that goes for us. We need to be very careful what we speak if we're going to invoke the name of God in it. Fifthly, do not fret about the state of religion. If you could think about this for a moment, here's Daniel's about to get the news. He's going to be, you know, killed for all this that is going on. And it could cause a little bit of fret about the state of religion, right? Whoa, whoa, wait a second here. We've been hauled off to this other country. We found a little favor. And now all of a sudden this is going bonkers. If we can't tell this king his dream and interpret it every one of his magicians or whatever, they're all going to be just torn limb from limb? God, what are you doing here? We could find ourselves in a similar place when we look around the world today. We could have this great fret about the state of true Christian religion. I mean, the, the different kinds of churches just in the United States of America. The things that are being said and done and even one of our men was speaking to me about what was going on in a prominent denomination here in the United States before the service this morning and I'm just shaking my head. Prominent denominations discussing the validity of how you handle the issue of homosexuality in dealing with the ministry. That shouldn't be up for debate. Denominations should not be debating whether there may be other genders. If you go out there and you read some of this material, it could cause you to fret for a moment. <laughs> what is going on? Look at the state of, of religion and even Christian 
religion in America. Well, I think we'll learn as we continue to look at the life of Daniel not to fret. God has a plan, foreordained vision. God has perfect will and power to bring about that plan, foreordained interpretation. We're not the interpreters of providence. God is. God is. Sometimes you look at the state of religion in America and you really wonder what in the world's happened. I was thinking this week, I'd finished a book by David, uh, Mark David Hall on did America have a Christian founding. And I was amazed to see some of the early writings of our founders and to recognize the, the whole host of thought that was behind the protest of early Americans. And a lot of that thought was not John Locke enlightenment thought. It was biblical thought. These men were founding much of what they did on their understanding of Scripture and calling upon God and the gospel to deal with this burgeoning nation. So as they protested, and it looked like it was the power of the people, these were men seeking to stand on other principles than the power of the people. In our modern day, we protest, and it's mostly, mostly done in the will of man. It's not asking the question, would God bless our protest? It's not asking the question, would God, what would God have us to do from the truth of his word? It's saying this is what we want, and what we want we get. The power of the people. It's our will. Even though there's been much change from our founding in our nation, I say to us, do not fret about the state of religion. God is sovereign. He will secure and take care of his people. As the Lord Jesus says, not one of them will be lost. Not one of them. We'll I have two last thoughts. One is, Note that false religion comes nearest to the truth when frustrated. If we look at verses 10 and 11, we'll note here's the Chaldeans standing before the king and their false religions. And what do they say? There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Now, they're not exactly right. But they're getting closer to the truth. And the reason they're getting closer to the truth is because their false religion is being frustrated. That which they have lived and worked on for years and years and years is now being frustrated because for years and years they were able to hear these dreams and then conjure up their own interpretations. 
One writer even noted that there was a, a great book that had been written that was often used in the interpretation of dreams. Multiple pages were consulted by these magicians and these conjurers where they had become basically interpreters of a text on how to interpret dreams. Well, now they were faced with a problem. Their dream Bible couldn't even be used because in the dream Bible that they had, there would be some kind of an outline of a particular dream, and then there would be possible answers to it. Well, all that's being frustrated because they don't even know the dream. And now they're being told to give the dream first. And finally, they come nearest to the truth in that frustration to say, you know what? Nobody can do this. It can only be done by the gods who are not mortal flesh. Now, we would know rightly that it can only be done by God who is not like man. He does not have a body and parts like men. He is without body, parts, and passions. And lastly... People often respond in anger when confronted with the reality of their limitations. People often respond in anger when confronted with the reality of their limitations. If you've been or started to read our new home group book, you know it's a book on dealing with anger biblically and understanding anger biblically. This is one of the themes of this book and it was brought to bear here in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, because of this, when they wouldn't answer this, because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, I've lost control. I cannot control all of this. So what's his response? Anger. He's been confronted with his limitations. Therefore, he's angry because he cannot get what he wants at that moment. And the anger in his inside soul and mind comes outward to where he says, kill them all. And his anger is leading to probable murder. Nebuchadnezzar is a king with no ultimate vision. Why does he not have the ability to interpret his own dream if he is so great and mighty? If he were really as great and mighty as he thought he was, then why couldn't he just interpret his own dream? Why does he need all these other people? Apparently, he's in need of help because he's got limitations. He's a king with no ultimate vision. He's a king with no ultimate power. Why does the dream or its interpretation even matter? You are the king, so just override and overcome any issue the dream may cause. If you're the great power that you think you are, then why does the dream even matter? The dream scares him because he knows he has limitations. And his limitations 
lead him to a place of anger because he cannot control everything around him. And ultimately, this is what evil leaders, dictators, what they do. And yet even for us in our own world, in our own little sphere of life, this is often a struggle for us. We come to the end, see our limitations, and we're angry because we cannot get what we want when we want it. My child won't respond the way I want them to right now. It causes us to be angry. My spouse won't do this thing that I want them to do right now. My coworker is not working with me the way I want them to work with me. What are our limitations? We can't control everything. So when we can't control it, often it comes out in anger. We need to be reminded this morning. Our anger is sin. And we are sinners in the whole of our being. And we do not have all power and all control. We are in need of hearts and minds that will bow before the one true living king. And there is a king who knows all things. And all things are under his sovereignty. He is the son of God. King of kings and lord of lords. And no one will stand in his path. His name is Jesus the Christ, and there is none like him. Why would you not bow to him this morning instead of continuing to live like Nebuchadnezzar? Thinking you can get your way. When ultimately one day all will bow before him. All will have to speak his name. And if you are a believer today, ask that you would bow in your heart of hearts. That as you leave here, you would ask the Lord to help you understand your limitations and not live a life that is perpetually angry at the providence of God. That he didn't make you like this or didn't make you like that or didn't give you this thing or that thing. Would you bow to his good pleasure? that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have many, many sins, some we know of and some we do not. So many of our sins are wrapped up in our desire to be in control. Lord, will you keep us by the truth of your word according to your spirit that we would not be given over to false religion, that we would not be like Nebuchadnezzar, And keep deep anger in our heart. Sinful anger. When matters don't go our way. 
We come before you pleading only in the righteousness of your son Christ. That for many of us as believers, we would walk in the truth of your word according to the power of your spirit in the life of Christ. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.